listening to the Aggie Parent and Family Podcast, a podcast produced by the Student Orientation and Transition Services here at Utah State University. The Aggie Parent and Family Podcast is a podcast for students and families of USU Aggies. Here we share practical advice from leading USU experts and students to help guide your student in their journey at Utah State. I'm your host, Isaiah Jones, the Transition Parent and Family Coordinator here at Utah State University. In today's episode, we're chatting over Zoom with USU Vice President of Student Affairs, Dr. James Morales, and Executive Director and Assistant Vice President of Academic Instructional Services, John Louvier, about support through all of these times right now as we get back to start for the fall. And we're just going to get a little bit of a preview of what things might be like. Maybe both of you can just say how you've been doing, and then we could jump into questions from there. So, you know, these are, these are really challenging times, I think, for everyone, trying to figure out what end is up as we try to navigate myriad issues that are attendant to dealing with this crisis, this pandemic. And, you know, it's a number of things that we're addressing almost simultaneously around the clock, it seems like. But one of the most important things, as we all know, is to continue to do what we need to do to take care of it ourselves and take care of each other. And so I think that's it's an important message for all, all of us of the Aggie family to remember. And as we consider new uh, incoming members of that family and their families as well. We want to wish them the best and hope that we can make the transition to uh, university life as best uh, as we possibly can. For my teams, um, a lot of the work that we do is is happening right now uh, with uh, summer classes going on and, and supporting those faculty that are teaching at the moment. And that's coming along actually quite well. We uh, have had very little technical issues. And I attribute a lot of that to um, our seasoned faculty uh, being the land-grant institution and many of the, especially many of the summertime faculty and classes are delivered over our statewide infrastructure and online. And so many of those faculty are, are fairly comfortable in this, um, in this teaching medium and, and, and participating remotely. I know there's definitely challenges for students because some are not only uh, are some of them having to, to learn in different ways or being exposed to different learning experiences that they may not have anticipated. But um, they also are just kind of challenged with the, the everyday um, seclusion that we all are doing in staying home and trying to manage uh, some work from home and their families and then schoolwork at home. And so that's, that's just a challenge all, all about. And, and so we're trying to help as best we can to support the faculty and, and in turn support the students. Something else that's been actually quite exciting and, and a bit of a surprise to me, we have a program called Empowering Teaching Excellence, and that's our faculty development program that we use to help train and, and credential faculty who are doing um, work towards improving their teaching. And um, we have seen a lot of um, contributions and artifacts that they've been submitting and evidence that they are working to improve their teaching throughout the summer. And I'm absolutely delighted with that. So uh, many of the faculty are not sitting on their laurels and, and, um, and many of them are not able to do a lot of their social science research that they'd be able to do otherwise. So what they're doing is they're preparing for fall and they're improving their teaching and improving their teaching practice. And, and that's, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted, like I said, um, to see the, the faculty doing that. So, so I'm, I'm really encouraged with uh, what's, what I'm seeing so far. And now we just have the rest of the summer to finish, finish out the summer term and then prepare for fall. And I'll talk a little bit more about that with the questions that we discussed. 
Well, thanks to both of you. And so much has happened since the last time we had you you two on the podcast. And uh, we won't go into all of it in this episode, but yeah, the, it's, there has been a lot going on from what I guess we went home around March 17th, and then now we're, we're getting close to July. One thing that we've had in our office is we've had a lot of questions from parents and delegates and other guardians about what to expect with fall 2020. And obviously, we're not the only institution that's getting that question. But as you mentioned, John, as the land grant and also and doing so well with these online platforms, but also I'm sure we've all learned a lot through this process of just ways that we can tweak things, what's working, what could work a lot better. And so I guess with that, that transitions to my question about Will fall feel like spring 2020 in terms of learning? I know it was a a bit hectic from our vantage. It was actually pretty incredible to watch just how fast USU adapted. But at the same time, I'm sure if you're on the plane, sometimes it's it's nice to know that the the pilots do an incredible work, but that turbulence sometimes as a as a passenger, you don't know what's going on. So maybe uh, you two could say something about that. Yeah, let me talk a little bit about what we're preparing for for fall. And, and I will also talk about the difference because there, there's a significant difference between what we experienced halfway into the term in March and what we will be presenting and preparing for students and faculty in the fall. The one big difference is um, USU was, was in a different situation than most other schools across the nation. And that's because um, in March, we had just come off of spring break. And uh, whereas many schools were just going on to spring break. So we didn't really have that extra week that a lot of schools had to prepare. And we um, had to make some very quick and rational decisions to protect our students and our faculty. And so we moved to remote very quickly with not a whole lot of notice or any days of preparation. That's extremely disruptive um, in terms of plans and expectations. And, and even ramping up the infrastructure and technology, not to mention the training and support list goes on, to helping out our faculty and students to be able to continue to meet their learning objectives and goals. So for the, there's, I, hopefully never in, our, in the future will we have an, an experience like we had in March, I hope. <laughs> and, and I think we've learned a lot from, from actually moving so quickly. And, um, and so let me share with you a few things that we've learned and what we're preparing for. So one, one term that I want to be very explicit about, and you'll hear us talk about remote teaching. And so there's a difference between remote teaching and online. So uh, when you hear somebody taking an online class or moving online to an online course, that's actually a very intentional teaching medium that we use to take online classes. And those are designed to be available to students who can participate at any time of the day, and they have full flexibility. Whereas remote teaching uses some of the online tools and students can participate remotely, but there's options to be able to participate live or synchronously with a class like you would a traditional face-to-face class or even a lab. We just use tools like Zoom, like we're using today, and and then we leverage learning management systems like Canvas um, to be able to submit assignments and even um, participate and engage. So um, as we move into fall, we are preparing for to go remote um, explicitly after Thanksgiving. So um, the difference between the remote after Thanksgiving and the remote that, that we did in March is we have time to prepare for that. So one of the things that we're, we're doing is uh, we're providing a fantastic amount of training 
and support, additional support for students and faculty to use Zoom, which will be our primary web broadcast option. The other thing that we're doing in preparation for fall is uh, we're providing an additional instructional delivery type. And this is one that we've never done before, and it's called face-to-face -face hybrid. And so students will start being notified whether their courses will be face-to-face uh, -face hybrid rather than just a face-to-face -face course. And what that means is that some classes, classroom sizes, are, have to be reduced, and they're called social distancing caps, which, which limits the number of individuals that can be in a given classroom at a given time safely. And, and so uh, for many of our classrooms, our face-to-face classrooms, we're providing the technology and infrastructure to be able to also broadcast those out via Zoom. And so uh, students at, will be participating in class and some students will be participating remotely through Zoom and they can engage in conversations and they can even have breakout rooms and, and chats and, and raise their hand and a lot like they would in the class but they'll be separated, safely separated through this virtual option. So that's one thing that's different. And so we're planning those. We're having to adjust a lot of, a lot of the ways that we're providing these face-to-face -face instruction and labs for obvious reasons, keep students and faculty safe. So, uh, so we're providing interactive video broadcasting, which is through our statewide campuses. Those will continue, but they'll also uh, be limited to the social distancing cap at, this, at the different sites. And so each site will work very closely with the faculty and the students that are taking classes there to make sure that they have the options to be able to participate safely. We're seeing a, a large uptick in the options to have a web broadcast or a Zoom-only class. And so a lot of our um, large classes that um, have 300 or more students that would normally be in a large auditorium are just not going to be possible because we just don't have a large enough space to fit that many people appropriately. And, and so what they're doing is they'll be do, delivering their classes over Zoom. And, uh, and right now we're working very closely with those faculty members who are intentionally designing their courses and the participation activities to be able to do those remotely and at scale, a lot like we do with our online classes. So uh, we're going to see a lot of a lot of remote participation in classes, and um, but a lot of preparation with our faculty to uh, be ready for that, um, with additional resources to help students and faculty. In, in student life, you know, as John articulated, for academic life, we experienced this spring a similar trajectory, and over the summer and into the fall, again, a similar trajectory uh, as to. Um, like what John has spelled out, and that is in those in the spring, it was very abrupt, right? We we just had to do our very best to transition to this new challenge that uh, beset all of us. Um, but I think the important thing that we were able to do is we were able to recognize that we could provide options for students in a virtual world uh, on the student life side. We could still offer events and activities, you know, certainly not in person. But uh, we were able to do some things that uh, we turned around on a dime and offered uh, in a virtual setting, uh, experiences that help students stay engaged and connected to one another. And doing that so quickly wasn't, again, optimal, but it really helped us understand that we had the capacity and ability to, to do that. And now over the summer, as we're planning for the fall, we expect that there will be more of that type of 
virtual delivery of some of our events and activities and other offerings. But at the same time, we are preparing for that in-person experience. Uh, as John indicated, the classes, there will be a variety of different options in terms of classes. Likewise, on the student life side, we will offer a variety of different options to uh, get involved, to get engaged and stay connected uh, as students with the uh, university community and each other. We will have in-person events, but they're not going to be like they were in years past in, in the sense that they will be smaller in scale. They will obviously adhere to the various uh, COVID-19 guidelines regarding social distancing and face coverings and so forth in order to protect the community and each other. And I think that's a really important principle to underscore over and over. And from my vantage point uh, in student affairs, this is about all of us coming together to do our part individually for the collective good so that we can have a successful in-person experience this fall semester. And if any of us chooses not to contribute to those safe practices, then that can jeopardize not only other people's experiences and the opportunity for those in-person uh, options, but health as well, their personal health. And so we want to be very careful. We want to be as Aggies, uh, really careful to think and to care and to act in ways that will ensure that those experiences are optimized for everyone, for students, for faculty, and for staff. So we will have some in-person events, but they won't be the scale that they've been in the past. But we'll also offer some virtual events. And we'll offer some things where we're streaming uh, maybe a concert that, uh, you know, a performer has has uh, a live streaming concert. We'll have some people in the spectrum, but, you know, they'll be social distanced uh, from each other. And you, you, we're not going to see situations where there's uh, a lot of close contact. You know, dances are going to be uh, probably not carried out the way we have in the past. Maybe we'll find a way to people to show themselves dancing in their residence halls rooms and, and broadcast in a in a large uh, you know screen or something I'm not sure but anyway the idea is we're going to do everything we can to ensure that students get a fully immersive uh, residential engaged experience with those COVID guide uh, COVID-19 safety guidelines in place. Yeah, James, I'd actually like to, um, something else that I've been thinking a lot about um, is uh, about when students are coming back and they'll be together is really being optimistic and, and knowing that this is a very different experience than many of us had going to college. Um, and many of, of you parents that um, as you're sending your kids off to school, kind of wondering what type of experience they'll have is um, part of the, the, the purpose of going to getting a higher education and, and a liberal arts education that we provide here at Utah State University is um, becoming a good citizen and learning how to become a good citizen and being socially responsible. And um, under the, the, the safety guidelines that we're, we're presenting to students and, and all those that are here on campus, we're really, um, we're really going to have to emphasize that social responsibility and kindness and sympathy and empathy for those around us. And that could be in the form of wearing a mask or, or, or being cautious to not crowd somebody in line. But those are things that we are going to be teaching the kids that are, are coming here and, and our staff and, and everyone. And so I, I actually think that this will be a, quite a, a fairly controlled environment in a lot of ways because we will be policing things and we will be enforcing it to, to make sure that everybody stays as safe as possible. 
but more than anything, we'll be teaching them how to um, be good citizens and be aware that that their practices can um, inadvertently um, harm or or benefit those around them. So, so I, I kind of see this as, as a pretty neat opportunity to send your 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 child to to Utah State, and and though there will be different, and and there will be some virtual things that may or may not work but we're we're trying to be very intentional like i was saying earlier that to make it a good experience for everybody that's right you know and some of the inconveniences that or can the the changes that will be perceived and experienced as inconveniences are really in order for the entire community to be able to enjoy uh, some of those experiences collectively and and as a result if we create this environment where, where it's a safe community, a safe environment, uh, free from COVID-19, then individuals will be able to experience a lot of those things and, and carry out those activities that they were hoping to, to be able to enjoy this fall and this coming year. So in the end, you know, I hope as parents, you'll uh, reinforce this message with your son or daughter that if they shoulder their part of, of helping to create this kind of environment that's safe, that uh, everyone's going to benefit and they individually will also benefit. Yeah, that's, that's really insightful from both of you. And I think one of the things with COVID-19 um, is that we're able for the goods and the pros and the cons and all of that to see all institutions on full display. And one thing that's really cool, uh, you two are both very humble, so you wouldn't say it, but I know that behind the scenes, the logistics of this is extremely time consuming but the thing that I like uh, and seeing this is that we I think the students and the parents as well can see how much care is involved in this process because only someone who really really cared and really really thought that the students mattered would put in this kind of time and dedication just to make sure that the intricacies of every space and making sure that you know we're not just thinking about our profits and things like this but trying to think of ways that hey how can the students still have and feel like they're uh, continuing to be a part of the Aggie family while keeping them safe and the community around us that supports us safe so that part's been really cool to see, I think, just not just as an employee at Utah State, but um, from the student vantage as well. I know that that's definitely appreciated. So thanks to both of you. You know, one question that we've also had, I know that I was one of these uh, in my youth, as well as I'm still a little young, but the difficulties of the online environment. Obviously, we've come a long way since uh, Blackboard. We have Canvas and Zoom and all of these things. It's been really impressive. But, you know, a lot of parents, you know, their concern is just what resources are available to help their students, uh, you know, excel in that context. We've had a lot of calls about, hey, you know, do they need to take that organic chemistry online? Because no one wants to do that necessarily. And if they do, what's available? You know, uh, could either of you jump in on that one? Yeah, let me go ahead and kick this one off. There's two parts to this um, that's a little different, especially for those, um, those parents that had their poor high school students finishing out their senior year at home. And, and I know I had my children at home, my high school kids, that um, some of their teachers were doing a great job and some were just, just overloading uh, my, my boys with a lot of extra work. And, um, and so, uh, so the first part that we're doing uh, to help students that, that have difficulty in, in all students is we're, we're really uh, working with faculty to, um, to present with them the, the right tools, the right way to engage students effectively, 
and to effectively teach to the learning goals that they've set for those different courses. Now, um, there are some times, and, well, there's often uh, that I'll sit down and, and my instructional designers will be working with the faculty and we will be very explicit to say, this should not be done online. This is, we're, we, we just can't do this effectively with good confidence. And so let's find some options to do this safely where students can come onto campus or go to a lab and, and we'll provide the infrastructure and support services for that. So, so we're definitely um, starting out to weigh out the options with the re limited resources we have and the parameters that we're working under. And then, so that's one thing that, that you should have a little confidence to help those students that are, may have challenges. The other one um, is, is really uh, comes down to um, support services that we're providing. So uh, we call those um, the, the student wraparound services, and they come in, in many different forms. And I'm and I'm going to let James talk a little bit about what he does because a, a lot of um, of what he provides is much bigger than even the academic support. But um, we're increasing the amount of technical support um, services that are available. Our our IT service desk. Um, have folks that are on call um, and available and being trained with all the technology and um, all the different sort of challenges that students may have. It could be as simple as logging into the, the USB portal with their username and email address and uh, losing their password to um, submitting an assignment in Canvas or taking a quiz or even using a remote proctor or, um, or participating in a Zoom class or actually setting up their own Zoom uh, participation with their friends or, or other students in the class. So we do have a support group that um, will provide the technical support for students. The other um, resources that we're enhancing are a lot of the academic tutoring support services and that can be done remotely and can be scheduled and, um, and advising that's being improved and, and scaled up accordingly. So those are a lot of the things that we're um, we're trying to improve and then communicating our communications to students is we're trying to improve that um, dramatically because that's another thing that we learned as we moved over in March that we had to be able to make things um, present there. And in fact, do you want, I'll segue over to you, James, talking a little bit about the portal and, and the exciting work that you're doing there of where students can find information. Right, thanks, John. So we're, uh, we wanna be sure that students have ready access to the support they need, you know, on all the fronts that are important and, and uh, helpful to them. And, you know, one of the places where students come and, and they go there almost daily, if not more than once or twice or more daily, to get information in support of their academic pursuits and their, you know, co-curricular pursuits is the, it's the MyUSU portal. And currently the portal is, is about taking care of business. There's some uh, different resources that are highlighted there, but we're really going to augment uh, the kinds of services and, and how those are, are available on the portal in preparation for fall semester. So it'll be uh, much more engaging, much more a place where they can um, access the various uh, needs that they have in addition to taking care of the, their, their, the business, you know, in terms of financial aid and, and academics and so forth. So you'll see some uh, redesigning, rescanning of that portal happening for fall semester to really uh, provide uh, a much more accessible experience for our students. And, and what's behind the scenes in terms of what they can access through the portal are the array of different support services ranging from, you know, the, 
the mental health services that they might need. These are extremely stressful times uh, because of COVID-19, the added stressors that we're all experiencing. We know that students are going to uh, need more support when it comes to their emotional health and well-being, and, and we're gearing up for that. And again, like our student activities and events side, we will provide a range of options. Students can continue to receive telehealth if they don't want to come to in-person sessions. We will have group therapy sessions with limited number of students in those group sessions. We will have one-on-one -on -one therapy sessions as well. So there'll be a variety of different options for them. We want to keep in mind though that we are not a uh, center that's set up to provide long-term therapy or uh, services for students that have intense uh, case or crisis management situations. Those that have long-standing mental health concerns, you know, our center is not geared toward uh, providing support for those students. We will do initial management and then refer to community resources for those types of students. We're geared toward the brief individual couples and group therapy, uh, you know, six to eight different sessions that would help a student get through the, the challenges they're facing, but not extended therapy. <laughs> That's on the mental health services side. But I want to back up too and, and help us remember that we really think about health and well-being uh, of our students from a much more holistic vantage point. So while mental health services is one important component, we want to ensure that students are engaged fully and connected socially, even though these physical distancing requirements might be in place. We want to ensure that they're taking care of themselves physically that they are going to the recreation center, those will be open uh, again with uh, COVID-19 guidelines in place. We wanna be sure that they're eating well, so our dining options will be available. Again, there will be various options that allow those that don't want to come to in-person settings to not have to, to maybe just do the grab and go kind of options. But again, we want students to take care of themselves along all the fronts that are important to them in, in addressing their health and wellness during the year. Yeah, thanks to both of you. I think that uh, the parents will definitely agree with me that a lot of thought has gone into this and a lot of support. And I know um, in some of our meetings and town hall things that we've had on campus, you know, students had asked about how fees were being used and so forth. But I think post-COVID world, we all kind of realize how much infrastructure is needed to do a lot of this online moving and shifting and, and that kind of thing. So I know that's greatly appreciated. Uh, one question that we've also got, you know, I had a parent call me from Illinois who said, you know, uh, my student had a rough go uh, their senior year, which it sounds like a lot of them did. And so they, they kind of have that idea of college, right? They come in and you know, in some schools, Southern schools, they have rush week and all these big things and football in the South. And, and here we have a lot of our uh, day on the quads and things like that. And so the big question is now is kind of what does, what will student life be like? I mean, obviously there's certain limitations to answering that, but just from kind of what we've done so far, James and, and John, uh, what do you all, how would you all answer that? Yeah. So, you know, we, we're hoping that we will have a, as, as uh, again, immersive of a you know, full-scale residential student life experience as we possibly can this fall. We, we are hoping that we have uh, football games. Now, again, they're going to look different than they've looked in the past, right? Uh, rather than having a stadium full of 25,000 people sitting shoulder to shoulder, practically on top of each other, 
there's going to be social distancing expectations if we're able to have those games. You know, homecoming, a, a celebrated annual rite uh, on campus is going to look different. We're still going to have uh, people coming to um, enjoy this experience, but it may have more vir virtual events associated with it rather than in-person activities. Now, the guidelines, the COVID-19 guidelines that we're under uh, from the state and, and local um, government and health districts do allow us to have smaller gatherings at this point. And hopefully, again, if everyone does their part, we'll be able to stay in the phase uh, of those guidelines where we can have these small gatherings. So we may still be able to have some uh, small scale reunions, you know, for particular alumni groups and things like that. Now, again, all that's subject to us maintaining that level of the guidelines, but the hope is that we can still bring people together in safe ways. We can still have events and activities. We can still paint the streets in front of the, the TSC and, and you know around the, the, the campus for homecoming, but they'll be in small groups spread out, you know? So again, if we can all abide by those guidelines, the hope is we can carry out these uh, events and activities that are so important to uh, a really immersive student-like experience. Day on the quad. We've got a large quad. We may have less vendors on the quad during that day. They may be spaced out more. There may be more sanitizer on the tables that you have to use, you know, table to table. You may have to have a mask on in order to even enter that event. But again, if students are willing to do their part, we're going to be able to provide them a really great experience. And like John said earlier, a unique experience. You know, it's going to be different, but it's going to be unique and, and it's still valuable and enjoyable. Yeah, I can see years from now, um, a lot of our students sitting around and saying, well, remember those years like the Spanish flu back in the... Uh, so I was a um, cross-country runner when I first came here as an undergrad to Utah State University. And everything you described of just having small groups and small numbers, I don't think our cross-country runners are going to experience anything different than what we have in the past. Something else uh, that, that I'd like to put in terms of student life, and I'll say the academic side of their life, is um, that will be a little different, is students are going to really need to be on top of their schedules. So um, they're going to need to know uh, a couple things. And, and there are three things that I would recommend that we put in there. And, and, and that is that they know um, when, where, and how their courses will be offered. So those schedules will be important because they may have a face-to-face -face class or a lab um, one hour, and then the next hour, they may not be participating in that face-to-face -face class, but they'll have to do it remotely, so they'll have to find a place that's safe and where they can access that class. And so there's a lot of logistics that these students are gonna be required to do, um, just in terms of their course schedule and everything. So they really need to be on top of that. I think that there won't be as much flexibility as we've had in the past. For students like that so planning ahead and knowing when and how and and what type of courses um, they'll be preparing for each day and not getting those schedules down the next one is um, that they just need to be prepared uh, with a computer and internet access so they have that flexibility and and that they know how to use canvas and zoom so that they're comfortable in these um, in their academic life which is could be in these virtual environments or will be in these virtual environments for some portion of their their learning and then um, the last one is that they, um, they know where to get help. And that help can be uh, for health and well-being. It can be for academic support. And it can be for their tech technical support. 
So those, those three things will be kind of a new way of, of the student life. It's just being very organized. They're knowing when, when and where they're going to be at a certain time and how they'll be um, participating in classes, being prepared with the right um, technology, and then knowing where to get help. I think those are kind of the three things that I would really recommend you, you sort of pound into your students in the expectations of what, what their life is going to be like this fall and, and probably into the spring. No, really helpful. And I think one thing that uh, that we all, most of us learned in the first kind of wave of all this in March is just also having the patience with it all. This is also very new for everyone involved. And I've liked seeing the Aggie strong and that we're in these, this together. And um, the challenge bull almost means something completely different these days. But just kind of knowing that, you know, as we implement these things, like the, the whole idea of the Aggie family and cooperating and, and thinking of of all of us in it together, I think is going to be really crucial as well um, that both of you have kind of alluded to. Now, the big, the next big questions is classrooms. You know, everyone wants to know uh, what classrooms will look like, what sh students should uh, expect in terms of, of, of that arrangement. John, you alluded to a lot of it earlier, but maybe is there anything more specific you wanted to add as far as sort of the structures of classrooms? I talked a little bit about the social distancing caps and you may see SD caps or social distancing caps and that limits the number of individuals in a given space. There, there won't be any class sizes larger than a hundred students. Uh, we just don't have large enough spaces here on campus where we, because each student will be separated by a six foot radius. And um, so all their chairs, if they're fixed, we'll just have certain chairs X'd out and they can only sit in certain ones. Now, um, there will be expectations that students will be um, coming and going from class with their masks on and perhaps even wearing masks in class. It will be encouraged. So that will be different. So you won't be snuggling up with your, your girlfriend or boyfriend there in class and you'll be separated. And, and you'll also, there'll be some distance uh, between your instructor. Now, um, there's some logistics that we're really working on right here because if, for some of the class sizes, there'll be a small enough room that everybody will need to say mask, especially the instructor if they like to walk around. And a lot of our uh, faculty do. I like, when I teach that way, I like to walk around and move about. And so I would be required to wear a mask. The challenge is when you're wearing a mask, you're muffled. And so um, being able to uh, project well enough and, and, and be able to make sure that all students can understand uh, accordingly, it's, it's, it will be, become a bit of a challenge. So we're working on enhancing a lot of these classrooms with technology, like providing uh, wireless microphones for the faculty members. Capturing and recording a lot of these classes is going to, to be happening and will be a regular. And, and then, of course, um, for those that can't make it or shouldn't be in class for various reasons, um, we'll be participating remotely like we are now. So you can have students in class in those. The last thing is our laboratories. So uh, the labs, uh, some of them will be, can be, uh, they will be using protective gear anyhow. And so they'll be able to conduct the labs like they normally look, would, like in our biology labs and so forth. They already have face shields and protective gear. The chemistry labs may be a little differently, but they'll, they'll work on those. I anticipate we'll see uh, more lab hours uh, to, to provide the capacity that's necessary in lab times. Um, so there'll be some logistics again there that will be, be um, necessary. And then the last thing are our testing centers. So we do have testing centers where we, we do live proctoring. 
And, um, and our testing center, which previously could hold up to over 220 students, is now limited to 40 at any given time. So uh, we're working very closely with faculty to see how many of their assessments or their quizzes and exams can be designed on online and we can do remote proctoring where, um, where it's appropriate. And um, for those that are not, we're going to extend the hours that we're providing the testing center and that will need to be scheduled. So, so once again, more logistics that we'll be placing on the students. Uh, but that's a lot of what it's going to look like or that I anticipate it'll look like which will, I, I have to admit, it's gonna feel really weird sitting there with masks and, um, and it's gonna be a challenge for our faculty to project and to, and to get students engaged. It's, it's a lot easier to lean over your student or say group up and, and four of you over there and four of you over there and I want you to discuss something. So, um, so there are some challenges that, that we need to figure out and it will be very different. Um, but, um, but that's what, what we should prepare ourselves for. And I know that uh, both of you are, are runners, and I, you know, I tried to run. I, I did sprinting. So, uh, But one thing that I wanted to bring up is, you know, our coaches used to write on the board. You know, they'd write the X's and the O's, and I'll never forget, uh, perhaps you all could go back to your first run, right, where someone described running a half marathon or a full marathon, and then you actually ran it. And for me, it was seeing the X's on the board, and then we played Utah. And I remember I came back to the sideline, and my coach was like how was it and I was like they're a lot faster in person than you're than you're drawing on the board and so again just the patience of getting used to the feeling of it will take all of us time to get adjusted to and the flexibility of you know you make those tweaks as you go I'm sure both of you as a runner maybe you adjust your shoes or you know your form or your technique as you as you kind of get the feel for what it's like as opposed to kind of reading about it I've watched enough documentaries about running and that I run about two feet and I, I realize that it's harder than it looks on TV. So I'm glad that you all can run. Yeah, I like that metaphor. I can think of our students as being academically flexible. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to need to be flexible, emotionally flexible, and in many ways physically flexible um, to be able to deal with you know, the, the changes in what we're doing here. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's a good example. And I think it's important, you know, just for all of us to keep in mind that it's not going to be the same as it was last fall or that any of us, you know, remember in our college years, it will be different, but that's not necessarily bad, right? An experience can become a, a positive experience and we're doing everything we can as, as John has articulated and I've shared to make that experience a positive, enjoyable experience for our students. Um, you know, but again, practically, there are some things that will not happen. We're known for having this, the, the largest Halloween party this side of the Mississippi River, the Howl. You know, we've looked at how we could possibly pull off that event with COVID-19 guidelines, and, and that's probably not possible in any, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So, you know, we will be foregoing certain things, but we will be doing things differently and, and maybe incorporating some new activities and events that, that uh, take the place of, of something like the Howl. So there's some exciting things ahead of there uh, of, of us, for all of us. Boy, we're not going to have many true Aggies this year. I just thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We'll find a different way to, to become a true Aggie this year. Elbow bump. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Maybe some kind of dance off up on the yeah. A or something. <laughs>
Yeah, I was going to mention that tradition, but I didn't want anyone to get to get sad. But new traditions are going to come out of this. New traditions. That's right. Most definitely. Well, that kind of transitions us well to, to what resources and supports are available for those who will be struggling with mental health. Um, and even for those who maybe don't even have uh, a history of it, I think you change environments and contexts, you learn a lot about um, yourself and, uh, and what's difficult and what's challenging. So I know a lot of parents have reached out to us just kind of wondering like, hey, this is going to be a challenge. And especially for the student, right, who really flourished in that old fall environment. And all of a sudden, you know, that's a new context. It's a, it's a new run. It's a new game, right? And so what, what resources are available for them? So again, we're going to have the, the full gamut of, of in-person uh, offerings as far as uh, therapy session with a, a licensed uh, psychologist that can sit down with them in a one-on-one -on -one session for you know, a number of sessions during the semester and help them get through the challenges they're facing. Uh, there's going to be options where a student can be in their room and, and actually engage through telehealth with a counselor. We also have uh, some self-help videos online. We have a self-help app. We have an option where a student can call into a crisis counselor 24-7, 365, and, and reach a, an, an actual therapist and be able to engage either through chat or through phone. So there's all these different options for students so that they can uh, get the, the help that they need, they need, when they need it, how they need it. But you know, on top of that, there's also, as I mentioned, the other resources for taking care of themselves, eating well, getting a good night's rest, you know, finding the balance in life, uh, taking care of themselves physically, all those matter immensely too. And one thing that most parents may not be aware of though, is that we truly are a community that cares about one another. And we have a process uh, and, and there's a way for any member of the Aggie family on campus um, to be able to refer a student to uh, an office within my division called the Care Center. And the Care Center uh, receives these referrals, these reports from anyone, a faculty member, a roommate, uh, someone who's just walking across the quad and sees a student in distress and goes up and asks what's going, what's going on. They can refer students through this online reporting mechanism and that report comes to the care center. The care center then reaches out to the student and they can offer a variety of support. Sometimes a student is struggling with food insecurity. Sometimes they're struggling because they're um, not able to meet some of their financial obligations or we've actually had students that have been homeless for a period of time. When we know about these students, our care center mobilizes to provide resources both within the university and throughout the community to try, to try to address a wide variety of these kinds of needs. So oftentimes they're all interconnected. The mental health needs are connected to some of the stressors that they're experiencing with respect to finances or, or grades or what have you. And again, through this reporting mechanism, uh, the community can care for each other and our students. So that's another important resource that sort of operates behind the scenes. There's also um, some resources that we're building into our, our digital infrastructure to, uh, to help our faculty to identify um, behaviors of students that may be maybe not keeping up with their other students in the class. So we're looking at um, like when they're, if they're getting all their assignments in or if they're turning their assignments in late, 
or if their grades are dropping um, dramatically and they may not have otherwise or increasing on the, the flip side so that our faculty can be aware of that and they can give them a little attaboy or some encouragement um, where necessary. But also we use that, um, that data uh, very constructively and we train our faculty to use that data appropriately so that we can be responsible to our students to help them be as successful as possible in the classroom and in life. And, um, and so if they see some, some indicators that may cause them concern and they reach out to students, they're not able to get a hold of them, they'll actually um, mobilize uh, some efforts through the CARES team and, and they'll use that system and, and then the CARES team then outreaches out to those students and determines how they can help them if they need something, whether it's academically or emotionally. Well, thanks to both of you. I know this is not the last time that we'll have you on, but I know that uh, from the previous podcast where you all were here, we had lots of people who reached out, lots of people listened to it. So thank you very much and hopefully have you back on the show. Thanks, Isaiah, for facilitating this.